welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Hi, this is Jed Hall, and for those who don't know me, I'm an academic development consultant at the University of Leeds. You're joining us in the first episode of season five of our Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where we're diving into the effects of research impact on research culture and focusing on different topics to ensure those effects are positive. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Professor Richard Holloman, or Rick as he prefers to be known, and uh, I will continue to go on for the rest of the conversation. Rick is Professor of Engaged Research at the Open University, or OU as we call it in the UK, uh, and Rick's research focuses on the theories and practices of knowledge exchange. Uh, and through this, he has developed a concept called Engaged Research, which I'm going to ask him about in a minute because we use that term a lot at Leeds. Until recently, he was also head of the School of Environment, Earth and Ecosystem Sciences at the OU. Rick, welcome. Hiya. <laughs> uh, listeners, because this episode is the first in the season, I've invited Rick along to help me to explore the impact of impact on research culture within the UK to the present day. Uh, we hope for our international listeners, this will give you some reflection information to think about what impact impact is having in your context and how you can try and manipulate it for the best. But before we dive into this discussion, I've said we, we're really interested in, in Rick's concept of engaged research at Leeds. So I'd love him to tell us a bit more about it and, and to make sure I've properly understood it in that, in that strategy that we wrote. <laughs> well, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting story behind the, the development of it, which I'll, I'll just give you a brief overview. So we, we, we did some work about 10, 10, 12 years ago at the Open University to explore ideas about engagement, knowledge exchange, impact across the whole of the Open University, so all academic domains. And um, you won't be too surprised to find that we found quite a lot of confusion. <laughs> People didn't really understand where, where does where does knowledge exchange start and end and impact start and end and where does the engagement fit into this jigsaw puzzle? So your staff were a bit confused about different terminologies and some of them were self-censoring and some was out of the conversation completely just because they didn't think that the the, the things we were talking about were the same things they were doing. So there were some really classic examples of that through the work we were doing. Anyway, so, so we we found this confusion. So what we tried to do was to provide some kind of collaborative definition context for this kind of work which sits above those kind of disciplinary definitions uh, and what we came up with with this idea of engaged research so engaged research as we define it encompasses the different ways that researchers meaningfully interact with different publics over any or all stages of the research process so that was right the way from issue formulation through to co-creation of new knowledge and then the dissemination and evaluation of that kind of knowledge. So that's what we came up with. It was, it was very much a kind of pragmatic take on this space. <laughs> Researchers <laughs> working beyond the university effectively in ways that were, were really useful for people that, uh, that they wanted to engage with. So that's where we started from. And then more recently, we've taken that kind of pragmatism. We've, we've tried to add, or certainly through my own work and some of the work I've been doing with colleagues, uh, this, this 
additional kind of um, lens of equity. So I'm particularly interested now in this kind of idea, how do we use engagement uh, for positive change, which I think is where we kind of started this conversation with when you asked me if I'd talk to you. So so we're on the same sheet now. Do you know what I mean? Um, we're both interested in how do we use engaged research to affect positive change, I think. Yeah, that's excellent, and uh, and thanks for doing that. And uh, I can uh, I can wipe my brow and uh, with the dry <laughs> with the cold sweat that was on it. But uh, I have understood it correctly, and uh, and hopefully we we're implementing it um, in a true um, in a true sense as well uh, at Leeds as well. And um, so one one thing I wanted to do with this uh, with this rather than it be an interview, we're kind of. Q&A was kind of just sort of think okay here's a discussion topic let's have some let's have mm. your view on it and let's have my view on it um so first of all um I was kind of thinking from a from a personal perspective that pot potentially we really need to say what our almost what our stance is um so so I thought I'd I'd go first as uh, you know maybe take home host um prerequisite in, in, in that sense um and and I guess thinking back to my PhD, um, which was in the early nineties, it probably gives a little bit away in terms of in terms of age. Um, I did I did what most people would describe as quite a fundamental uh, mm. piece of work in um, in physical chemistry. Um, you don't really need to know. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, I don't want to bore the listeners with what it was all about. Um, but in terms of a shorthand, I was really hoping that it would. Um, open up avenues to try and reduce CO2 emissions from combustion. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what I wanted the research to do. Um, and, and I guess that that kind of led me into some real debates with my supervisor who, you know, and we, we carried on those debates um, up until his untimely death last year, and I miss him a lot. You know, the debates were always mm. um, always really open, even though we were on uh, maybe different parts of uh, of the spectrum because he was about kind of knowledge creation, but he was also really interested in how, you know, science and art could help to um, almost democratize um, access to information. So, you know, being interested in that engagement, but he, his engagement was for kind of the love of the knowledge, mm. I guess, for my engagement, it was for the love of what the knowledge could do for us, mm. and that's where that's where my my stance is. So, so impact the impact of impact for me is that it's made academia feel more, like more of a natural home for my views and my and my stance. Um, and I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted that to be clear. You know that, you know that that is uh, that is where i stand so sorry how what's what's impact kind of done for you and you, you know you mentioned obviously it was something of interest that you've you've researched to kind of come up with the concept of engage research so where where are you with it yeah i mean my my background is different for you so I, I come in from the social sciences um and i'm mean, going back to my phd my phd was about communication of of science um, how new knowledge hits the public sphere and makes a difference. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and and almost that kind of it's <laughs> necessary kind of influence of society on uh, new knowledge and new knowledge on society just just 
it just emerged through the context of the PhD. Um, mm. So there were there were case studies that looked like which were very much kind of fundamental research, which which were very much about communication knowledge. But there were other case studies that looked like which were much more engaged, uh, and that's us imposing that kind of modern definition of engagement on it. It wasn't mm. the term used at the time. Mm. Um, so it kind of it, it it started to come through the work. Uh, through the research I was doing. And um, at the same time, I got interested in how we might share resources around this kind of space more effectively. Uh, and I did some research, again, probably about 15 years ago now, uh, where we started to explore that. And we produced a co-produced a website with, with a community to try and share resources in this kind of mm. space. But as part of that work, we started to look at, okay, what are people actually doing? And what are people doing in this space? So we're mainly interested in scientists. Um, and we found that there was a lot of default thinking uh, in that kind of space. So people were typically reconstructing the same activities again and again and again. You know I mean, it was, it was quite a safe space to work in, if you like. Mm. You know what I mean, and also then working with similar people. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, there was this kind of very kind of cliched default thinking around what engagement could be. Uh, and that really made me think, okay, there's this space here to be a more imaginative, uh, more innovative, more exciting to reach communities that we haven't worked with before. Um, so it, it was in that kind of, around that time, the impact started to be, uh, you know, imposed, if you like, on the sector. Do you know what I mean? Right at the point where I was saying, we need to be more interesting. We need to be more exciting. We need to we need to think about the quality of this stuff. Um, was the other dimension of it? Is are we doing this well? And how do we know what what good engagement or good impact looks like? So that really was where I came came through it. And and through that kind of process, I just happened to be in the right space at the right time to to lead this culture change project at the Open University, and everything from there onwards. Uh, becomes you know impact becomes much more kind of closely aligned with my work so it was it wasn't a plan <laughs> it was an it was an accident really do you know what I mean it just it was an opportunity mm. and I remember sitting there chatting to you know friends of mine thinking do I do this because it was it was a new space to work in at the time and um yeah it, it was it was an opportunity that I saw I knew it would be difficult uh, to try and lead a culture change project in this kind of space. But it, it it paid off in the sense that I think we've made some useful interventions in that space. But that's that's kind of where I came from. It was it was seeing that opportunity to improve quality, to understand what value we have in this kind of space. And going back to the earlier point is saying, okay, how do we affect positive change through this kind of mechanism, this new mechanism that we didn't we didn't have in a very consistent way across mm. academia. So it was there obviously beforehand, but it just wasn't kind of consistent. Yeah, sure. Uh, and it's interesting you talked about imposition. I think uh I think that might be some of the some people's almost objection to it that, you know, there were lots of people in the academy um you know going all the way back as far as you mm -hmm. could as far as you could think who've had impact you know they've wanted to engage with um you know with the people or the pol or the publics that they wanted to engage in they've had a change there's been some change in that you know we wouldn't have any innovations without that um without that activity and i don't just mean technological innovations either mm. um so i think uh, you know i think i think impact is not new um mm. i think it's just the imposition of it 
that that feels new. Um, and certainly in, and I, I remember reading um, the Impact Agenda book, um, and it was saying that uh, probably, you know, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, people wouldn't have thought of the word impact as being about this. Um, so it yeah. is a kind of a different lexicon that's, uh, that's sort of coming as a result of that kind of top down hitting the bottom up that that's always happened i think you're right i think you're right i think there's probably a third group uh that would end there so that's new new entrance to the system mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh and the potential for the you know the obvious example being postgraduate research students i mean they, they don't see the imposition of impact because it's just it's just there do you know what i mean so there, there is that kind of, and you alluded to in your opening comments about your relationship with your supervisor i still see that now do you know what i mean some supervisors in the system think well, okay, okay why why do you want to do this in an engaged way mm-hmm. let's just 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 do your kind of usual contribution to knowledge you, you know crack on three and a half years let's get you out of the system do you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh and they're coming to me saying what are the arguments you can give me <laughs> take back to the supervisor to say there's a more there's a more engaged way of doing this so I think that's that's the other interesting dimension that the disruptive, if you like, in the system is that third third group, uh, which is new entrants. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. Actually, let I was I was going to go on to the to the kind of next stage, but um, it, what's that? What's that disruptions? What what's happening in that space? Then do you know, give us a sense of where where do you think it's going with those those new entrants? Are we have we got a lot more almost impact evangelists, uh, if we can call them that? I don't think I would call them that, actually. Just just because I don't think they see themselves in that kind of space. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I think I've done I've done a lot uh, of training postgraduate research students, mainly in the sciences, mainly in the earth and environmental sciences, but also across different areas. Um, and I think they are, a lot of them are pragmatists, you know, uh, and they see the potential of doing their work in a more engaged way. So when I do training with them, I always start with a with a with a kind of position statements, which uh, is something I produced ten years ago or so uh, for a, a consultation from the National Coordinating Centre for Public Engagement, and and it was called an engaged thesis. Mm. So it basically just it it it's a kind of provocation saying this is this is what an engaged thesis looks like. Do you sign up to this or not? Uh, and then we have a debate about it, and then we have a vote on it. Uh, and I've, you know, collected the kind of voting over, a, like it must be six, seven years at least. I mean, and it's almost fifty-fifty, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah as, as people see value in this notion of, of of an engaged thesis, that doesn't obviously wed them to it in their research, but it just it talks about the potential. So I always ask them, okay, could you do this in your own research now, or would you be willing to consider it as a supervisor? And it comes out about 50-50, which is kind of fascinating. It's pretty steady, do you know what I mean? Right mm-hmm. across the piece. Um, so that gives you a kind of, some kind of measure mm-hmm. <laughs> of, of what we're dealing with here, yeah? Mm-hmm. But when you see what it means for them in, in terms of the, the research themselves, do you know what I mean, and how they might do it in a more engaged way, then it gets really interesting because obviously they're now asking you very practical questions. Okay, how do I do this uh, in a way that actually does meaningfully engage people? And how do I write this up in a way that you know is sensible at the end of the process and gets me uh, gets me my doctorate at the end of it? Um, and I think they're they're much more open to those possibilities because they haven't got that kind of initial framing saying this is an imposition of an agenda. It's much more about 
what could this research actually do and who could I involve in it? Who could make a real difference? And I think that's that's the most positive way you can ask that question of them. Yeah, so it's it's really about them doing the research in the very best way that they feel um, yeah. is appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, I wanted to kind of move on to kind of the on our next discussion topic. So this is almost like a a, a verbal literature review. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so what's your what's your take on on reading literature uh, around almost the sector's view? And and we'll 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 keep it UK focused because um, mm. we said that's what we do. Um, so yeah. What, what, what do you think the literature said about uh, the impact of impact? Yeah. So I, I obviously had a little bit of a think about this before, <laughs> uh, before we chatted. I mean, so, so I think, I think the literature comes in lots of different forms is the first thing I would say. So we, we get that kind of classic peer reviewed publication, mm. the primary literature, research literature. Um, and that says certain things. I think we also have a lot of kind of secondary and gray literature in this space, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you then start to look at who's writing this, <laughs> uh, so we've obviously got academic researchers. We have this relatively new group of professional practice in this kind of space, you know, public engagement professionals and impact professionals uh, in this kind of space. And then research funds themselves write about this as well. And sometimes there's collaborations between uh, those different groups. So I think if you look at it in that sense, in the more rounded sense, okay, literature is, 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 is a really big thing in this kind of context, I think. And it's fascinating once you go beyond the primary literature, which is what I'm trying to get out there. Do you know what I mean? Because I think there is, there is this kind of um, issue about, you know, generally about the marketization of higher education more generally and the critique of that, uh, which is very strong. And I think the impact agenda gets rolled into that. And to some degree, I think that's justified. And to some degree, I think that's a bit unfortunate because it defines impact in quite a limited way for me. So mm -hmm. the impact has never just been about economic or commercial enterprise for me. It's always been a much bigger, much bigger question. So I think there is there is the kind of negativity negativity around this kind of agenda, and I think it, it tends to focus particularly on what I consider to be a lack of organizational and cultural change in this kind of space. Mm -hmm. So we know there are problems with, with uh, you know, precarity. We know there are problems with workload in this kind of space. And we know there are issues around prioritization in, in higher education. So those are three things I think we're going to talk about a little bit further on in the conversation. So I'll just, I'll just flag them here. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one really interesting kind of area to, to look at. And, um, the other one, I think, is is around obviously practical guidance. There's a lot of practical guidance. So how do you do impact better? Do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of kind of practical guidance. And more and more of that seems to be written by impact professionals, which is really interesting. So they're, they're moving into this kind of space in a really interesting way. So that's really good. Um, I think there's also work done on the, the, the underpinning of the peer review system, if you like, that, that around allocation of funding uh, and how it's, how, it's, uh, how it's looked at, do you know what I mean, and reviewed and the quality kind of things. I think that's really interesting. Uh, and then the final two, one is around cultural and organizational change in higher education more generally, do you know what I mean, and how do we do that in a way where impact uh, becomes more, much more integrated. And then the final one is, is this very kind of practical perspective, which is all that impact case study database. 
<laughs> so you can go and look at what's been done and, and try and unpick it and see, well, okay, when the really good stuff in it. <laughs> so there's this it's it's a really interesting set of different and there's probably another a group that I've I've not thought of, but I mean, but those those are the things I think are really fascinating about this kind of area. It's all these different perspectives on what is still a relatively new thing. Yeah. Um it, it's it's interesting that you picked up the 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 databases of impact case studies being a rich research research mm. resource um because obviously you kind of almost um you know i i spend a lot of time going through that both from a from a practitioner point of view um mm. and uh, and actually you know i published with others on what you know what's the difference between high and low scoring uh, yep. case studies in in 2014 that was looking at so it was it was work that we were doing before the 2021 uh research excellence framework exercise and and interestingly you know we when we had that uh paper in draft form and it went to the peer reviews one reviewer mm. came back and said you know they wanted a bit more of a critique of the research excellence framework and i kind of think you know I certainly reacted as an author kind of going, do we need more of that? Mm. You know, yeah. hasn't, hasn't almost this, this argument been rehearsed and re-rehearsed and re-rehearsed and regurgitated enough times. And it felt like, um, it felt like just, yeah, for me, it felt like just wasted words, um, so I, I should point out I didn't review that paper. <laughs> Just <to> say, <laughs> but you're, you're right. I think there are there are there are there are plenty of critiques out there. Do you know what I mean, I think in a way one of the things which is kind of fascinating is is thinking a little bit forwards and saying, okay, what 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 would be different? Do you know what I mean, if we if you know that that might be something you could put at the end of the paper and say, okay, this is where we've got to. We've done this twice. What what does it look like next time round? Mm. And I think there's some there's some really nice. Uh, some really nice thoughts coming out there, which hopefully mm. will be will be taken up in um, ref whatever year it is, um, mm. twenty twenty eight or whatever. Um, but it, you know, interesting. I think we have to kind of hold a hand up and go. You know, impacting ref has actually had positive impacts on the sector. Um, and one thing I kind of, you know, and you mentioned the grey literature, one of the things um, David Willits uh, was uh, Minister of State for Universities and Science um, in the coalition government. So that uh, uh, coalition between the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats in the UK that came into power in 2010. Mm. Um, so while while the, the debates were still happening about whether impact was going to become part of our research assessment process, and um, he was interviewed after after leaving government by the Institute for Government, you know, as part of their series of. Um, interviews with ministers that they call ministers reflect mm. and uh, and they asked him about uh, you know it wasn't a specific question that, about what what was all this impact nonsense that you uh, that you were kind of responsible for but he um, he said also uh, people from outside the UK may forget that 2010 to 2015 was a real period of um, retrenchment of government funding um, for all sorts of uh, government activities, you know, everything mm. apart from 
uh, apart from actually health, uh, more or less, um, took cuts. Um, and his officials had agreed a 10 to 15% cut in the science budget. So again, to explain for people uh, beyond the UK, the science budget is essentially where all of the funding for research comes from, whether that's arts and humanities or uh, mm. or chemistry, which was my discipline, uh, and all the others in between. Um, now, he the interview talk he talks in uh, in his interview about how he used the political back channels to say, if the first thing I do as Minister for Universities and Science is to cut the capability of doing science and arts and humanities and, and all the others, then I'll never be able to get the sector on board with what we're trying to do. Mm. And he, he argued that, as I said, through the political back channels with George Osborne, the chancellor. And uh, he said, uh, you know, so this was all happening over a weekend and he came in on the Monday morning and said to his officials, start preparing for a flat cash settlement. And they went, but we've already agreed 10 to 15% cuts. And um, little, a little later that morning, the confirmation from the Treasury came, flat cash for, um, for science, for the science budget, with the criteria that impact was part of research assessment. So, so we do have to hold our hands up in the UK and go, Actually, it maintained research at the level, you know, cash level mm. uh, that it was prior to 2010. Um, and I think, you know, the, the database with um, of case studies demonstrating that there's been a huge amount of work done in this space, even without forewarning. Of us being assessed on that in you know 2014, we weren't really forewarned that it was going to be the case. Um, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, when we were doing the research that might have led to that impact. Um, so I think you know the the good outcome from from Ref 2014 was actually some additional funding, and I firmly believe that some of the things like the industrial strategy money, which was additional to the science budget at the time post 2015 was as a, was as, as a result of of impact so we you know we do have to recognize that and say you know maybe say thanks for it if we're um if we're positive towards impact and if we're if we're not positive towards impact at least say few um you know i've been able to do the amount of research that i used to be able to do mm. yeah um, i think it's a really interesting perspective I suppose that the other way to look at it was how much of that money was actually spent to support the generation and evidence because I'm pretty sure it wasn't 10 to 15 percent of the science budget <laughs> well yeah there there is that I mean the the cost of actually doing the exercise I don't think anybody's ever really mm -hmm. um, really yeah. come up with a good answer for that um and uh, and where we find that money from um because mm. usually the Usually the things we have to do extra in relation to research actually comes from our teaching income, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting, it is an interesting question. And how do you then balance those things up? Do you, I mean, because that, that is a very lively question, which I was kind of alluding to a little bit earlier, that mm. kind of organizational cultural change. Do you actually steal it from teaching 
uh, or do you embed it within the research or do you add a third category and say actually there's another activity here therefore let's relook at everybody's workload and see where everything fits within this kind of balance and i don't think i don't think that conversation has really been bottomed out in any kind of consistent mm. way but it is a really interesting question to ask is how do you actually get the workforce to do this kind of stuff in a sensible way yeah i was having conversations with another colleague uh, a little while ago um and we'd both been in higher education f for about 20 odd years you know i joined in 2003 and uh, and he was a little bit before me and, and you know we were we were talking about some of these issues and go we were talking about these issues in the early 2000s and and we haven't solved them so you know we were kind of going as a sector are we really very innovative because we you know we keep seeing the same challenges and and maybe just trying the same solutions over and over again which is einstein's uh, definition of madness isn't it <laughs> well i mean i did some work like it would have been 2017 to 2019 so around that kind of time which which was to try and think about workloads for for impact mm. uh and as you can imagine <laughs> It's not a particularly easy piece of work to be done. Um, and it wasn't implemented at the end of that process because it was just seen as too difficult. Uh, mm. It's too difficult to actually grasp this nettle uh, in any way that's consistent. So that's partly because we just have different academic practices across an organ large organization about how workload is thought through. Mm. Uh, and then it's about, okay, how do you actually allocate a number of days to generate a, a really high quality impact case study? Yeah. That was the context, and that's that's not an easy conversation, but it's it's an interesting one to try. Yeah, absolutely. We have, um, I have colleagues from um, different schools that map to the units of assessment uh, within Ref who go, "What are they doing in School X? You know, they're giving their case study authors time uh, mm. to do it, or or are they not? And that that that's actually, you know." doing the writing up although it takes a bit of time um just like writing a paper takes a bit of time mm. it, it's the doing of the work that actually takes the yeah, majority yeah. of the time isn't it and we you know we we haven't even thought of how to how to really do that and um you know i think i think there's another conversation about that uh, uh about that work that didn't they didn't manage to go anywhere with yeah. your institution you have the other kind of final point I wanted to make is, um, you know, we've just finished our second research excellence uh, framework and uh, and RANDs were uh, contracted to do uh, the evaluation report for it. And I was reading that um, a couple of weeks ago in in prep for this, uh, for this episode. And it, it was interesting. They pointed out that um, there was a real strong view in the in the respondents and i can't remember the details but it was uh, it was quite a high number of respondents was that the research excellence framework has a as a negative impact on research and and research culture and then they asked the same respondents what impact has as ref had on your research and your research culture and everybody said it hasn't had any. <laughs> so is it, it was interesting for me in terms of how do I, you know, how do we think through that? Is it is is the negative effect only happening to others mm. who didn't respond to that survey? Yeah. So 
it's 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 fascinating, isn't it? I think there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in this kind of space. This mm-hmm. thing is what, what that takes us towards, and what is actually actually happening. Uh, and I think one of the things which I found, which is is still a bit of a challenge across the sector, is is as I say that that organisation and culture has not quite caught up mm-hmm. uh, with what's required to genuinely do excellent impact. Yeah. So um, you find yourself with this kind of misalignment. I mean, and, and it's in obvious places. Do you know what I mean? So is there a plan? <laughs> yeah. Most people have got a plan, but it, you know, it can sit at an institutional level and it doesn't tend to to drip down into, you know, into the actual workforce. Do you know what I mean? So there's there's always that been that little bit of kind of misalignment, I think, between what academics do on a daily basis and what an institutional strategy does. I think that's across the sector, do you know what I mean? Uh, and simply asking people to write a justification for for an application for internal money, it's amazing how nobody uses the institutional strategy to to justify what they're doing. And you're like, well, come on, it's there, it's there. You know what I mean, uh, so there's a really obvious starting point. You know what I mean, so having having it having a, a genuine impact plan that has some you know alignment to a specific area of work, yeah, to be mm-hmm. a department, uh, a faculty, I think is is is, is the starting point. Mm-hmm. Having people with allocated time, I mean, as you pointed out in the last uh, little discussion we had, do we give people time to, to do impact? I mean, it's a ludicrous statement, right? Because how are they going to do it if you give them any time? Um, so giving people time and, and funding to do this kind of work. Now, that's either through, uh, you know, applications for external funding or it's some form of internal funding you know, as, as some kind of mm. slicing off of QR as, as you should take from the previous ref results. Rick, I'll just come in there to say that QR or quality related funding that forms one strand of the dual support for research in the UK is very briefly explained in the show notes. Sorry to butt in, please go on. But you know, some kind of time and money for doing it. Uh, development <laughs> and opportunities for progression yeah so you do this well and you can move yeah. on you know and you can become a leader in this kind of space so you know recognition of, of excellence in this space is really interesting and just as a really simple example of that i mean i do a lot of work supporting promotion cases i did a lot of work when i was head of school doing that i mean and it always amazed me a how few people uh used any kind of previous evidence of impact in their promotion case which they clearly had and had done mm-hmm. well um, and the second one was whether anybody who submitted to the previous ref, I mean, had their impact case study on their CV even. Yes. And it was, just wasn't there. I was like, I know, I know you have a four-star case study. Why is it not on your CV? Oh, I never thought of putting it on there. What? <laughs> it's, 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 it's there. You can put a link to it. It's there. <laughs> so um, I think it's it's all those things in a kind of nutshell, do you know what I mean, which you think, okay, all of this is fairly routine when you think about it, actually. But if you put those things in place, then you start to create the conditions where people actually see value in this kind of work. Mm. And two, three years down the line, you're starting to really see, you know, see the, uh, the seeds starting to flower. And just as a simple example of that, I mean, when we, we, we changed our promotion profiles at the Open University in 2015, we now have nine knowledge exchange professors. Mm. 
which we didn't have before. Do you know what I mean? And what that does is give you this enormous leadership capacity, which you didn't have before. Nine profs who all kind of get this stuff, really get this stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and value it is a different context where we were before. It's still a tiny proportion of the overall number of profs in the in the university, but it's 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 a chunk of people. It's a number of people you can call on uh, when you need to really start to think through this stuff sensibly. Yeah. Uh, which means it doesn't all fall to me. It doesn't all come to me and go, okay, you're the only knowledge exchange professor in the university. It must, you must fix this problem. <laughs> so actually, no, no, you want to go and speak to you know, X or Y over in there in the different part of the university because they're much more sensible than I am on this particular issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a perfect example of John Cotter's coalition for change being formed, isn't it? With your nine colleagues. Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing I kind of um wanted to go into was uh was kind of you know are the negatives really because of the research excellence framework or are they actually because of people's reactions and behaviors as a result of the uh of the of the of the ref so what mm. what what's your take on that um I think it's fair to say that, that research audits are not well loved <laughs> to start with. Okay, so it's, it's not like the RAE was well loved beforehand. Okay, uh, so people weren't dancing through the uh, the academic aisles waving their "I love the RAE" flags. Uh, uh, for listeners overseas, that's the research assessment exercise, which predated uh, the research excellence framework. Uh, but the one of the biggest changes. Uh, was was that introduction introduction of the impact agenda when we switched to to the research excellence framework? So I think I think you get you get mixed up with all these different things coming in together. So there are you know genuine concerns about uh, the way higher education is being governed in the UK. Do you know what I mean? And, and whether we are moving to this kind of marketization, or whether we already have. Do you know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's a kind of foregone conclusion. There were real concerns, you've alluded to some of them before, about research funding and whether that's going to be maintained and how much of that is being hived off into the impact space. Those two things are real concerns, I mean, but they're not specific to the impact agenda. Yeah. Mm. So for me, the impact agenda is, is a set of possibilities. Uh, and that's the key thing for me. That's the reason why I see it as a positive thing. It's around the, you know, a, a whole set of possibilities about effecting positive change with groups of people who often haven't had the opportunity to have that kind of conversation with university lecturers in a kind of equitable way. That's that's the thing that drives me. That's the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning and says, okay, we need to go again. And they need to have that argument again with that professor who told me this is a rubbish, you know, and it's all a waste of time. Um, so, yeah, so I think, you know, there is there is there are these kind of concerns. I think, you know, there are obvious concerns around you know that bigger political agenda and isolation of the uk do you know what i mean which you know and then what that means for european funding do you know what i mean and all yeah. those kind of things are all wrapped in together do you know what i mean but to, to to blame the impact agenda for all that is just, just completely unfair to me do you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh so i see i say i think i think it's it's a series of possibilities do you know what i mean and that's the way i would say to to a, to a postgraduate researcher or anybody i work with do you know what i mean the the one thing I add when I speak to postgraduate researchers is what type of researcher do you want to be? Yeah. Uh, and what type of supervisor do you want to be? And I don't give them the answer, do you know what I mean? But it's an interesting question to ask. And you can set a kind of series of little parameters up to get and think about, okay, these are different possibilities. Where do you want to be in this space? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I mean, it, we have a, I've, I've used that kind of similar question in different ways, you know, kind of, you what's your academic identity? What are the things you're plugging into the um to the hole mm. that is that is right for you? Yeah. Um, you know, that that for me is actually the definition of academic freedom, not yeah, um, yeah. not that well, kind think, of heart. Well, allied to that, you know, you often get the argument comes back, it's just really difficult to do. Mm. <laughs> you know, well, actually it's not. <laughs> You just have to start with first principles and work it through. And once you've done a whole research cycle once in an engaged way, most people don't go back, I think, because they realize the benefits uh, and they realize actually that they, they are one lovely, brilliant mind in this kind of process. But actually, once you start to you know, devolve the problem to different minds, you find that there, there are lots of solutions elsewhere in the, in this, you know, beyond academia, which are fascinating and much more relevant, actually, in the space than we can come up with academics. Yeah, and that chimes with um, some of the feedback I've had from people who've, you know, the first time I've encouraged that, you know, they've gone off and actually had a stakeholder conversation. I'll use that word because... We do. I know there's debates around it at the moment and whether we carry on using that term, but it, you know, not going into that debate, but, um, you know, they've come back from those conversations and said, that was the most interesting conversation I've had about my research in many a long time. Yeah. Um, and you just think, you know, that, no, no wonder you, you know, do you feel lonely with back, back within the academy when you're trying to find somebody else to talk to about your research? When yeah. it's, you know, sometimes it might be easier to just go and talk to somebody outside who, you know, you've done your research around them. So you've understood that they will be interested and will be interested from this perspective. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the worst case scenario is you, you have your own idea validated. Mm. yeah <laughs> i was i was right i was right all along i mean that's the worst case scenario right so uh yeah but chances are that you'll always have something added to that kind of conversation yeah. and i yeah. think that the other thing is when you when you do it again obviously you start to build those partnerships mm. and you find you start to look for other issues and 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 your agenda can actually shift and morph in really interesting ways that you didn't expect it to mm. you've got to be open to that obviously <laughs> absolutely Looking at looking at academia and, and my time in it, I think one of the hardest jobs um, I think I've thankfully not had, but have seen people have, is as head of school, um, which you've had. Um, so I wonder if you could tell us about that period and how you've managed to try and make sure that for the colleagues that uh, were in your school at the time, that they have a positive of experience of impact if they want to build that into our, their uh, academic identity. What are the kinds of things you did to to try and give that uh, a positive uh, cultural aspect? Yeah. Again, I, I, I don't think any of this is rocket science, but it is it is just getting your head round, accepting that there are different types of academic work uh, and they're all valid. Um looking at the possibilities of what we did as a, as a school uh, and again I was I was lucky to take over a school that was already quite engaged uh, before I started but to be fair that's one of the reasons why I chose that school in the first place to go into because for, for various complicated reasons I did have that choice um, so we already had for example a, a floodplain meadows partnership uh, which had been going for 20 years by the time I took over as head of school um, and they've been doing wonderful work in that kind of space. 
so it was just a case of actually recognizing that and celebrating it okay so how do we celebrate that kind of work in really obvious ways so um that that's part of it it's just celebrating excellence when you see it recognizing it and celebrating it um I think it's about reducing precarity in that kind of space because the reality is I think that one of the issues in this in this space is you have a lot of people on short-term contracts and whether that's a greater proportion than you have in, in other parts of academia is a, an interesting argument that could be made. But just actually doing the work to secure people permanent contracts yeah, uh, is another thing. Um, getting people promoted in that kind of space and saying, okay, let's have a look at your... CVs, do you know what I mean? We, we've got these four profiles at the Open University. You can go through teaching, you go through teaching research, you can go through uh, research on its own. You can go on knowledge exchange on its own, and obviously you can buy between them lot. So just looking at, at the possibilities of people's profiles right across the piece and saying, actually, this this looks like a knowledge exchange case to me. So let's, let's see if we can get you through there. Uh, and seeing people being successful there. So that's partly about obviously mentoring the case through the actual application process, but it's also about seeing the possibilities of where they could go, which would fill a gap that would take them into, into that kind of space where they get their next promotion. Um, and I, I've had a school for three years, but actually for weird reasons, I did four promotion rounds. I mean, I think we had like 20 people promoted through the school, through that kind of process was it three or four new chairs? Yeah, through that process. And that's just through sitting down and having sensible conversations with individuals and saying, let's do the hard yards now. I mean, this might be a difficult yeah. conversation to start with, but trust me, we will get you to the next level. But we have to have that sensible conversation about where you are now. Do you have the evidence? Right, you need that gap plugged. Okay, how do we do that? Yeah, so that th there's, once you've done that a couple of times, people start to trust the mm. process do you know what I mean mm. and it becomes this kind of positive uh, virtuous circle basically so you know when I came in as head of school I was a social scientist leading a science school do you know what I mean I said to them do you really want this yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I think to be fair do you know what I mean having done that work and they could see that I was willing to do the work with them to support them that's really what it comes down to it's that kind of leadership capacity building do you know what I mean in this kind of space and saying, okay, we need knowledge exchange leaders as much as we need research leaders, as much as we need teaching leaders. And we could go along about the teaching leadership thing and how te teaching isn't always recognized in the way it should be in academia as well. That'd be another whole podcast, but do you know what I mean? But it is about just saying it's not just research. Yeah? Mm. Different types of academic work all have value for this, for this school and for this institution. Uh, and once you get people to, to actually buy into that, it's it's quite straightforward, actually. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, think... I'm, I, I, I am making this sound really simple, <laughs> which of course it's not, Joey. But I think there are simple things that can be done, and it is it is a lot of it's in that aspirational culture. Mm. Yeah, you need to make knowledge exchange, engage research, aspirational, and say, look, you're really clever people, yeah, and you can work with other clever people, and you can solve problems. Do you know what I mean? And what can I do as your head of school? to help you to do that yeah i mean when you talk about yes it's simple to describe and then you said the hard yards to actually sit down and find the time and um and focus in on that individual that you're talking to and you know making sure that they you know they properly feel like they're getting your attention thought um and and deep reflection actually that that takes a lot of emotional energy as well as brain energy, doesn't it? 
that may explain why I only did air school for three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it it does. Do you know what I mean? But I think that in every single promotion case I did uh, with people to support them, the hardest meeting was the first one. Yeah, always the it's always the hardest one because you, you're either telling people. Uh, this isn't quite there, do you know what I mean? Or you're, you're asking people to move stuff around the case where they don't feel that's the thing they want to do, do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> or you're saying you're two years away, do you know what I mean? But we will get you there, do you know what I mean? This, that's the hardest conversation you can have. And once people have gone away and reflected on that, in every case, they would come back. Sometimes it would take them a, a couple of days, sometimes it would take them two weeks, but they would come back and say, okay, I've thought about this, and what you're saying is sensible. Mm. Yeah, and I trust you. <laughs> uh so let's give it a go do you know what I mean yeah. and um yeah I got everybody through that I started with hmm. so we've been we've talked around a number of things and it's probably time looking at the the clock mm. that we ought to we ought to wrap up and I'm sure our listeners are probably thinking well yeah I've had enough now <laughs> <laughs> Um, so may, maybe if we can try and uh, maybe sum up on where do you think the UK is at the moment in terms of the impact that impact has had on its research culture? What is there anything you'd like to offer as a summation? I think I mean the, I think it's a fascinating thing when we started this conversation about having you know having this com- you know, discussion about impact. It, it did start from from. A, a period of reflection for myself and a couple of colleagues uh, where we put together this PhD project on the impact of impact. Uh, and the big things I think we were really interested in, one of which was around value and quality. Yeah. So do we really understand value and quality, do you know what I mean, in this kind of space? Uh, and I think we have a much better idea, obviously, now than we did before. Um but there are still these kind of odd gaps. So I, I gave you that classic example, the impact case that it doesn't appear on people's CV. You know, when you've got a four-star case study and it's worth, you know, half a million quid. Um, how's that now? Mm. <laughs> it's not seen as value. Do you know what I mean? So there's kind of there's these kind of you know tensions and and gaps in the kind of ideas of quality and value, I think is interesting. Um this kind of introduction of of, if you like, a, a new area of work in academia, the impact space do you know what I mean and who then works in that kind of space I think it's fascinating do you know what I mean so um impact professionals and understanding their work and how they fit into this kind of space and it's obvious to me from what I've seen as say some of the things we've talked about you know greater precarity part-time jobs entry-level jobs do you know what I mean um whether that really is moving forward in the way that you would hope it done after 10 to 15 years. I mean, you would expect to see some very senior people right across the piece working in this kind of space now uh, who started in 2009, 2010. Yeah. So I think those are two really obvious things. And then the third one is, is this kind of, we've done two refs, I mean, and we're going to have this another, another argument (laughs) for the next two, three years about what the next one looks like. I mean, and what does that, what does that look like? And one of the, one of the really interesting areas that I think could be introduced, and it was discussed a bit, you know, before twenty twenty one, was this idea of institutional case studies, mm-hmm. as well as you know individual case studies sitting within units of assessment. So what would that look like? That would be fascinating to start to have those kind of conversations about what an institutional case study would look like. So those are kind of three things I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, if if we if we manage to get a good PhD candidate in, do you know what I mean, um, and and they take off, they could they could choose a completely different area. So we, we're not going to impose that on them. But that it is it's an interesting kind of uh, set of issues to start with, and say, okay, where could you go in two or three years with with a with PhD research in this kind of space? Yeah, I'm really hoping um, that the the PhD you, first of all you get some really brilliant candidates and that they they come through your selection process and uh, uh, and it is a project that kicks off um, in October hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So fingers crossed it it does happen. I think for me, you know, kind of summing up, um, I'll come back to kind of my first point, which was you know philosophically, I think. Personally, I think this is what universities are for, actually, that we've, um, you know, there might be there might be a narrative in the literature that it's kind of almost a, a third way and, and those sorts of things for, for universities. But actually, I think for me, it's the first way. This is mm. this is what this is what they're really for um, through whatever discipline you know you are aligned with or want to be aligned with you know it doesn't matter i think the you know there is the there is the almost you know reminding people of the kind of pragmatic um defense of uh of academia that that impact allows you know that it it does have that purpose and it does have an engagement with with the world beyond the university door and that it does uh, it does change it for the better hopefully um mm. there are there are examples of research change in the world in the opposite direction and 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 that's uh, that's unfortunate um but it's part of you know almost the negotiated way that the impact happens um i think for me the you know the pandemic showed that you know engaged research and engaged academics really does lift the reputation of the sector and has lift, lifted the reputation of the sector. Although I do acknowledge that some people who've been brave in that space to be out there and um, and saying their views based on the research that they're, they're doing right now mm. uh, about COVID has led to, led to them receiving some kind of negative press from, you know, maybe social media trolls and, uh, but, you know, in, in a in a in a sense, that will always be the case. There will always be people who will disagree with you, whether you're only talking within the academy or talking beyond it too. Um, and I think I think that's you know that that is a really important message, hopefully to to lead on. And I think it I think it also buys into your your research message about engaged research is that, you know, we're all humans together and we need to talk to each other to, to deliver the future. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a lovely way to finish. <laughs> yeah. Rick, thank you so much for a really interesting chat. I'm, I'm kind of hoping, as I said, that that PhD project uh, is, uh, does start off because I'm looking forward to some really interesting conversations in the future. So thanks very much for your time. And, um, uh, and say bye to the listeners for me yeah goodbye thank you thanks for listening to the research culture uncovered podcast please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes and if you're enjoying the discussions give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us and please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe 
thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.